budget work session will now come to order. Madam Clerk, if you would please read the electronic meeting notice followed by the roll call. Yes, Madam President. Before we begin this afternoon's meeting, I must state the following for the record. This work session will be held through electronic communication means pursuant to and in compliance with Ordinance Number 2020-093, adopted April 9th of 2020, as most recently amended by Ordinance Number 2020-232, adopted December 14th of 2020. Notice of this work session was provided to the public by means of a public information advisory issued on Thursday, February 11th of 2021, as well as through Legistar on the city's website in accordance with our usual practice. There will be no opportunities for public comment and no public hearings during this session. And in order to identify each council member who is present electronically for the session, I will now call the roll. Mr. Addison? Present. Ms. Jordan? Here. Ms. Lambert? Here. Ms. Larson? Here. Ms. Lynch? Here. Ms. Trammell? Here. Mr. Jones? Mr. Jones, Vice President Robertson, here, and President Newbill, here. Madam President, all members are in attendance with the exception of Councillor Jones. You do have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Again, uh, good afternoon and welcome everyone uh, to our budget work session. Our agenda for today is twofold. We have a uh, presentation on classification and compensation phase two uh, by Mr. Saunders, uh, acting uh, CAO, to be followed by the analysis of the proposed FY22, FY26 capital improvement plan by Bill Eckelberger and Samson Anderson. Mr. Saunders, if we could get underway with your presentation. Thank you, President Newbell and members of the City Council. Um, we will get underway. Uh, uh, Thank you, Beth, for bringing up the presentation. Um, Madam President, uh, we asked for this opportunity today to speak to the importance of the phase two implementation of the city's uh, class and compensation study that is in the mayor's FY22 proposed budget uh, and why it, it addresses several critical needs for the administration. And I will go ahead and, and preface it to say that um, I believe, you know, after conversation with members of city council, as well as looking at council's budget amendments, we do have what I would call a win-win scenario, or I guess what you would call a win-win scenario, President Newville, to discuss with council at the end. So if you'll bear with me through the presentation, um, we'll look forward to discussing that uh, at the conclusion. Beth, next slide, please. So let me start by explaining how we got here. And by here, I mean, uh, to a place where from a compensation uh, need for our general employees, a implementation of our phase two is of greater importance than a what I would call a, you know, a cost of living adjustment or an across the board percentage based um, pay increase. We got here through our past infrequent pay adjustments for our general employees. There was no increase in FY12, a 2% in 13, no increase in 14, 2% in 15, 0% in 16, 0 in 17, 0 in 18, 1% in FY19, 3% in FY20, and again, uh, no increase in FY21 after the adjustment for COVID-19. Next slide. 
the impact of these infrequent pay increases is that we have is that it is simply highly unusual in a market not to provide annual increases to remain competitive. It's detrimental to attracting and retaining our employees, and it certainly sends a message to our employees about their value uh, and perhaps even more important, what they can expect from the city in the future uh, in regards to whether annual increases and cost of living adjustments are um, can be counted on or if they are going to be a rarity as they have been um, for Richmond over the last 10 years. Next slide. The infrequency of the pay adjustments have led to a number of issues that we need to correct for. First, we have many of our employees are paid below a market rate, a competitive rate for their positions. That in turn has led to both a high vacancy rate of our, and I'll speak specifically, high vacancy of our funded positions, as well as a significantly higher turnover rate. It makes it more difficult for to retain uh, skilled employees, and our recruitment of skilled employees is very challenging. Next. In 2018, um, essentially what the study found was that 81% of all general employees were play, paid below the midpoint uh, for the market. 24.5% were paid below the minimum of the market scale. Roughly half or a little more were between the minimum and the midpoint, and only 19% were above midpoint. Uh, for the new scale as proposed and adopted under the Gallagher Class and Compensation Study. We were able to make small improvements in FY19 and FY20, total of 4%, but it is far from what we needed uh, in order to achieve market competitiveness. Next. And for that reason, a cost of living adjustment and across the board flat increase does not fix these challenges. And in fact, it could make it worse as the COLA adjusts for employees without regard to who is underpaid or who is overpaid. Again, in this instance, parity does not or uh, equal doesn't equate to equity because it doesn't take into account where an individual is today in regards to the class and compensation setting. The only way to properly issue a cost of living adjustment today without causing further harm is to do it at a rate that's consistent to the needed pay adjustments for the consumer price index and on top of uh, the market adjustments as outlined by the Gallagher Class and Compensation Study. We'll talk a little bit more about this later. Next slide, please. Again, these are the competitiveness of our city wages have led to two significant challenges for uh, for the city, for the administration. First is our vacancy rate for, for general positions was 16% last fiscal year. And our turnover rate for general employees was 14.8%. Next slide, please. This high turnover and vacancies negatively impacts our service delivery. So, while adjusting our uh, pay plan or providing a pay adjustment for employees has uh, several values or several you know benefits. One is it shows our employees that they're valued. But any 
adjustments to your pay plan should also create value for our residents by increasing our retention, lowering our vacancies, and improving uh, the effectiveness of our service delivery. Next slide, please. Actually, um, before we move on, I just want to point out briefly, go back really quickly. If you look at our neighbors in Henrico, um, you will see that Henrico's annual turnover rate is 10.2%. And again, contrast that with our annual turnover rate of 14.2%. So essentially almost 50% more turnover in the city than in our neighboring county. Next slide. Low wages and experience leads to easy pickings for competitors. Competitors that are easily able to offer significant pay increases for the same job. Uh, and when we have, have had low or no pay adjustments, a newly trained employee um, who has gained experience with the city becomes appealing to talent recruiters. And about 72% of all of our departing employees have five or less years with the city. So we're training them and then they'll be recruited out. Next slide. Inexperienced applicants are hired because experienced applicants are not accepting. So this becomes in, in, in our actual hiring. Oftentimes we are, we are choosing or having to hire inexperienced applicants um, because those with greater experience that we are offering are not accepting our lower paying offers. Uh, when the applicants often ask for higher wages, we simply can't compete or simply can't offer such a market wage because doing so would only compound our compression with our existing employees. So those who would have who are on staff with more years of experience, um, you know, we should not be leapfrogging them to have an accepted offer by an employee with less experience. Next slide. The importance of implementing the Gallagher study is that it will allow us to correct for pay equity for employees who are below the midpoint, below market rate, and to align our wages with experience for a more appropriate placement in the pay range. Next slide. This will increase our retention of trained, experienced, knowledgeable, and skilled employees and lead to uh, less recruitment costs, operational savings and efficiencies, increased employee morale, superior responses, higher accuracy, better service, and improved processes, uh, and so and and the list goes on. Next. It will reduce the complications of applicants with less experience commanding higher pay, or at least causing less, or at least causing compression with our more experienced employees. Next. Doing a COLA without the corrective market adjustment, without the implementation of phase two of Gallagher's, of Gallagher's class and compensation study would not correct for those paid below the appropriate placement in the pay range. For example, an employee paid near the minimum pay range who has 10 years of experience would move up by the COLA rate, whether it's 1% or 5%. Um, when, if we implemented phase two, they should be moving up by as much as 25% to create parity amongst peers and to increase our um, our marketability. Again, a COLA without a corrective market adjustment would increase the, increase the problem for those who are paid appropriately or those who are um, slightly over market 
when comparing for their years of service. Uh, in contrast with the employee that I mentioned before, an employee with two years of experience who is who was hired at midpoint um, would still receive the increase, even though those who are still below the M- midpoint um, who've moved up by that that flat rate are still far beyond where they should be by market or by midpoint. Next. A few months ago, the city moved forward with implementing the phase two Gallagher recommendations for our Richmond Department of Social Services. This was done for a number of reasons, but first and foremost, to increase our retention as well as our recruitment of much needed social service personnel um, who are, are certainly uh, a critical part of our team you know, year round, but particularly during this COVID environment and in the increased reliance on our social services. The study was implemented in March, and we were lucky enough to receive uh, feedback from many of the employees. Um, as you see highlighted in red below, 52% of our social service employees received a 10% or more raise in order to achieve the market parity. A quote from one DSS employee is that, to think that you find me worthy of this increase is humbling. I know that social services is often overlooked, ignored, and not touted enough. My peers and I often work long, hard, and difficult hours, often at the expense of our personal lives and families. At the end of the day, we would do it all over again, but to be lauded, appreciated, and understood was a breath of fresh air. So I thank you all. Thank you for allowing me to work with this agency and recognizing the hard work that we do. Uh, I believe uh, Director Giles is on with us this afternoon, and I'm going to go to her after we complete the presentation to speak a little bit about what the value of the Gallagher uh, implementation has meant for her department. Next slide. That's an ex- so, so if social services is an, ex- is an example of the success that can be found by implementing phase two of Gallagher, uh, we have a number of other departments who continue to see the challenges of not doing so. For starters, citizen service and response. Um, Director Pete Briel was able to identify customer care representative with over 23 years of experience who is currently paid nearly $10,000 below the market midpoint and only $2,700 above the market minimum. Clearly, a um, across the board percentage is not going to get that individual up to where they need to be based on market, but the Gallagher implementation would. Next slide. In our Department of Information Technology, there are four examples um, that Director Todd was able to um, point out uh, that collectively show that employees with 11 to actually think uh, 23 years of service are paid between 9 and 18 percent below the midpoint or market rate. This has certainly led to the fact uh, or been a contributing factor to the fact that the agency currently has a 13 percent vacancy rate in their funded positions. Next slide. In PDR, in Planning Development Review, midpoint for planners by the Gallagher study is 66590 Salaries today are roughly 60000 10% below the market rate. 5% raise across the board would not get these individuals where they need to be to be competitive in the market. Midpoint for inspection field supervisors, we often hear about the need for um, 
inspections or challenges that we've had with getting to inspections in a timely manner. Uh, market midpoint is 70,000. City salaries today are between 57,000 and 63,000. Increasing our competitiveness will increase our ability to hire, retain, and then provide a higher level of service um, for our customers and, and for um, both the businesses and citizens of Richmond. Same is true in um, property maintenance as well as CE inspectors. Next slide. Again, the um, one of the, the things we wanted to convey with this presentation is that a COLA alone will not uh, address this critical um, gap in our, our market competitiveness, um, at least not on its own. Um, again, it could make it worse if a COLA is, is made without first adjusting for those who are below a market midpoint. Uh, and the only way to properly issue a COLA without causing that harm is to do so uh, at a rate that would be consistent with the range adjustments um, for the consumer price index since the um, Gallagher Class Compensation Study was, um, was implemented. We do have some options to offer for Council's consideration. Next. First, um, I'm actually going to start with the column on the right, option two. A 3.25% cost of living adjustment, which would be consistent with CPI since the Gallagher Compensation Study was adjusted, um, would cost roughly $3.4 million uh, for all eligible employees and leave us $3.6 million or almost $3.7 million in uh, needed additional funding for implementation to achieve midpoint. So essentially, in this scenario, no one, um, well, those who are eligible for um, compensation adjustment would receive either the 3.25% cost of living adjustment or phase two to midpoint, whichever is greater. If the city council, uh, and I believe as we mentioned before, um, the 3.25% would be an appropriate level to not cause additional compression um, by bringing folks above what uh, you know the the inflationary adjustment would be, whereas a five percent cola would be slightly higher than that. But if it was something that council was looking to do, a five percent cost of living adjustment as well, in addition to the phase two to midpoint, um, would be roughly five point two million or almost five point three for the cola for eligible employees. And the playpan phase two implementation to midpoint would still be an additional 3.1 million. Um, so whether it was the total of 8.38 for option one or 7.145 for option two, um, both of these could be budgeted for similarly to how we did so in the introduced budget with an implementation of um, early October. To kind of, again, break these numbers down for you under option one and option two, um, the percentage of employees who would receive less than a full COLA is 6.1% under the 5% option and 3.4% under the um, second option. Again, this is uh, in large part because there are employees who are excluded with either uh, less than 12 months of experience or issues related to um, being under performance improvement plans. Um, 
and I will say it also uh, these numbers also account for a um, flexible or an additional adjustment so that um, we are able to take into account individuals experience in roles prior to coming to the city for those who have comparable experience that should um, apply to their years in job calculation. So again, to kind of summarize to if we were to probate these implementations to a October uh, implementation, the total cost would be nearly 6.3 million for a 5% COLA plus the phase two to midpoint implementation or 5.3 for the 3.25% as well as the phase two to midpoint. Next slide. So part of what uh, we wanna speak to as far as for what it means to have the win-win would be to have an ordinance that would adjust the pay classification minimum midpoint and maximum ranges by 3.25% for the annual CPIs. That should be part of our annual practice where um, we, as in partnership also with a second policy, that we will annually adjust the pay and classification ranges as well as the compensation by the CPI in order to maintain the current pay pan each budget year. These two together, that we will both adjust the pay ranges so that the minimum midpoint and maximum ranges move with the consumer price index as well as a policy ordinance that would uh, essentially prioritize that we will adjust the compensation to match that CPI adjustment is how once we have implemented a market plan like this, we will stay current with it and stay competitive year over year. Uh, it does mean that we need to be committed to and prioritize um, those annual compensation adjustments, um, but that is what is critical for us to both uh, become and maintain competitive in the market. Um, again, it's the administration's recommendation that we would implement option two, the 3.25% cost of living adjustment effective uh, on October 9th, simply because that is the number that would not cause further compression or individuals who are, um, I would say, kind of uh, growing above their market midpoint, since we do have departments and positions that have been moved to midpoint um, based on competitive need uh, prior to uh, the start of the, the next fiscal year. Um, and then the next piece of it would be that we would calculate the phase three implementation costs to adjust those remaining employees, those who are above the midpoint, to, to essentially um, complete the compression-related corrections. Uh, those numbers would still need to be developed by in, in collaboration with our Department of Human Resources. Um, as, as mentioned uh, in, I think, past presentations, you know, the first phase of implementing Gallagher was the adjustment to market minimum, which we did in the first year after the clay pan was finished. This is phase two. Phase three would be to continue that compression correction for those who are at or above midpoint today. Next slide. All right, that is the end of the slideshow. Um, again, this issue is incredibly important to the administration, um, simply because we know that from council's perspective, from the mayor's perspective, uh, improving service delivery is, is, for, is our number one priority. Um, we can't do that without addressing both the turnover and vacancies, um, that we see in our critical departments.
Dr. Newbo will be glad to take any questions, but I think then lastly to, to summarize, just want to say a big thank you to the administration team who helped put together this PowerPoint, including Miss um, uh, Mona Easley in our Department of Human Resources and Robin <coughs> Redmond on her team, uh, Fred Rosen uh, also on our HR team, um, as well as Ann Seward and other city leaders and uh, consultants who helped with implementation of this plan. Thank you, Mr. Saunders, uh, for the presentation. Uh, members, are there any questions at this point? Uh, Council Member Robertson. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Saunders, for the uh, presentation and uh, explanation of uh, where we're going with the Gallagher, Gallagher study. Um, I have a couple questions that I'd like to get some clarification on. Uh, one being, I think you may have shown this in your slides, uh, how many, what percentage of our employees were or will be impacted with the implementation of phase two versus the number that were likely to be, that were impacted by phase one and what are we anticipating the percentage to be of those for phase three? Um, Vice President Robertson, I'm gonna do my best to answer your question. Um, I believe in one of my earlier slides, I mentioned that there were roughly a quarter of our employees, 24.5%, who were below the minimum uh, when Gallagher was first uh, finalized, adopted, or um, I believe received by city council. Uh, and so those were, I believe, were adjusted in the first budget following um, Gallagher's completion. Um, now, granted, many of that 24.5% will also be included in phase two, because if they've got to minimum, that means they're not at midpoint yet. Um, I am trying to, can we bring the slide deck back up and go to the, I want to say it's the next to last slide. Yes, there it is. So um, roughly what you see here is there is our, a third of our employees um, who will receive both the cost of living adjustment as well as the play pan adjustment pay plan adjustment, which essentially means that they're, they're, the percentage needed to get them to market midpoint is greater than the proposed COLA. Um, you can see there's not a whole lot of difference between the 3.25 and the 5% with that because most of our folks are, quite frankly, more than 5% above um, market midpoint. So, you know, there's not a lot of folks falling in that gap between they are between 3 and 5% shy of midpoint. Um, so we'll have a roughly a third who received that greater than um, five or three percent cost of living adjustment uh, under either of these options. And then there's um, roughly 60 percent who would be covered by the cost of living. The 6.1 percent and 3.4 percent, just a reminder, um, you know, there's a couple of factors why there are, are employees in that category. Some are based on, you know, less than that kind of full year of service, um, we would, uh, you know, we would kind of set as a baseline for receiving the adjustment. Part of it is um, those in performance improvement plans. Okay, I have a follow-up question, Madam Chair. Yes. Thank you. Um, 
When the study was done, I, I'm hearing you say that in some cases because of our lack of uh, being competitive in our pay, uh, some of the more experienced people that we would like to be able to add to our um, to our employee list um, and the talents and, uh, that they would bring to the table. Um, I'm a little concerned as to whether or not we know what kind of um, employment opportunities that we have had to um, perhaps not provide, uh, be able to hire because of that. And do we know how to identify those uh, employees that we may feel that at less uh, experience and how we how we are treating and taking care of those. Not by um, pay only. I'm concerned about the experience piece as well. Well, I, I appreciate the question, and I think that's where um, essentially a lot of what that means is it's additional burden of training um, or um, you know uh, you know certainly additional um, support management oversight, et cetera, is, is needed for those with, with less experience than those greater. doesn't mean that they're any less talented or capable. It just means that um, if, you know, our goal was to go out there and recruit somebody with certain, you know, number of years of experience and a certain job function, um, you know, and you can kind of go through, go through the, all the different jobs that we, we carry in the city. And for some, you know, those, those years of experience are really critical to what they bring to um, bring to the table. Uh, it, it simply means that we've had to hire on the lower end of the experience threshold than than at the higher. Um, and Miss Robertson, would you and Madam President, would you mind if I actually ask Miss Giles to speak? Because I think she actually could speak really to uh, what the changes have been for her department in hiring since implementation. Um, Mr. Saunders, yes, but let me just in case Councilman uh, Councilwoman Larson has a question about. I'm not sure about she has a question and I'm not sure if it's this slide or not. So before we Ms. move from then, before, before we move on for that, Ms. Uh, Madam Chair, yeah. if I could just yeah. uh, wrap up my third question. And I'm okay. very interested in the um, in the presentation uh, as it relates to the Department of Social Services and how this has impacted them, uh, which seems to be very positive. Um, the Question, the other question that I have is in regards to um, we have received and you are quite aware of this, uh, Mr. Sanders, the request from uh, public safety employees, both police and fire, as it relates to a pay plan that has been presented, uh, which seems to be different uh, than the pay plan that you that we are proposing here in regards to following uh, the Gallagher study. My question is, it appears to me some of the requests that is being made as it relates to the pay plan by uh, fire and uh, police um, employees is to accomplish somewhat of the same objective, is to make sure that we get all of our uh, folk on the, on the pay scale that uh, don't, does not continue to create this uh, disparity that we currently have as it relates to years of services 
versus what people came in making and how they've been able to move to the next level because of uh, lack of funding from the city as it relates to annual pay raises as well as uh, other step in career. So the bigger part of my question is, do we satisfy the accomplishments that are being stri- that are being strived for in phase two to include both police and fire? Um, Mr. Madam, Sun- oh, okay. Um, if, if we, if the goal is for me to answer that question to start, um, I'm going to just read some numbers from the, you know, since the year, since, um, you know, really the last four years, uh, in 2017, $3.9 million for a step based, step based salary increase, funding for career development and base salary increases for police and fire recruits. In FY18, um, there was 5 million. For F, in FY19, we continue the step increases with 3.4 million. Um, in FY20, it was 5.1 million to increase base salary. And in um, FY21, the proposed steps increases were frozen due to COVID-19. In the mayor's proposed budget for FY22, there is a two-step increase for another 2.5 million. Under for general employees, the comparable FY17. Uh, where um, we had funded steps and career development. Um, there was no funding increase for general employees. In FY18, whereas there was $5 million for public safety, there was no funding for general employees. Um, FY19 was where we started to get some, you know, some investment. We had a 1% increase for general employees versus 3.4% for public safety. In FY20, again, um, Three percent for general employees, um, but the continuation of seven increases as well as base salary increases, I believe, of that same three percent for a total of five point one million. My my point in raising these points is that, quite frankly, the police, the public safety step plan is really meant to be what we are discussing here as a best practice as it relates to our cost of living adjustments and achieving market competitiveness as well, and then making colas an annual recurring expectation for employees. That's essentially what the step plan does for um, for public safety is what we should be doing for our general employees as well. So part of why phase two is a is a very high priority is because it's adjusting something that, you know, I would say historically the, the public safety play plan uh, has supported us um, doing better at than we have done for general employees. Um, I'm certainly not going to ever say that um, compensation. Well, I, I don't believe that now, even with phase two implementation or, and the two steps for police and fire, will I say that compensation is uh, where it needs to be for the city or, or that there isn't more room for growth. But we've done what we've been able to, you know, budget for over the last uh, several years. Um, and it's why we um, are strongly recommending it for this year. Um can I get just a clarification? Okay. I'm not clear. Yeah, the question that I'm not clear on is, will the pay plan that is before us, that is being proposed in the budget, um, include fire and police? So. Uh, so phase two implementation of Gallagher 
is separate from the two steps proposed for police and fire, but we believe that they accomplish similar objectives. But again, okay. that, that's where the pay plans for police and fire are separate from the pay plans for general employees. But Vice President Robinson, does that answer your question or is it is it still not? Um, Am I clear? I'll have to um, take some time with you on, offline, I guess, to make sure I'm really clear on that, because I want to know for sure as to whether or not um, there are. Um, uh, departments as significant to us as fire and police are uh, included in this budget plan. And I'm not sure that you answered me yes or no on that. So, okay. so um, Mr. Saunders, you hear the question, and if you could um, follow up and follow up in a way that all members could receive that information, uh, that would be helpful. Okay, that that I okay. appreciate that and happy to to follow up in a way that's just all because I, I believe many members of council have this similar question about the public yes. safety play plan versus. So if I can just make it's, this point before we, before we move on, um, it is that um, the issues that have been at least what I would say very recently raised in regards to the public safety pay plan around the impact of continuing education and how how many years it takes for individuals to um, to kind of cap out in their pay range are very, very different than what we're talking about fixing for general employees with it. Whereas we have general employees who have been have had years in jobs. 10 years, 23 years with minimal compensation adjustments, minimal that has left them at that whether it's 10,000 or 10% or or 20% below a market midpoint. Um, not to diminish any of the issues related to the public safety pay plan, but the, it but it is it is simply different and it is can be a challenge to compare them given the history we have of providing funding the steps increases for public safety while doing very little for general employees. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. We look forward to the follow up with the information and possibly a comparative analysis based on what uh, is in the budget for police and fire and what it is that they have proposed. So with that, Councilwoman Larson. Uh, thank you, Dr. Newbell. So I'm just trying to understand from our process point of view is the this presentation that we just got about COLA versus um, implementation of the Gallagher study. Is this just for informational purposes today? And then council will like debate, decide on another day when we have the amendment consideration on our agenda? That's correct, uh, Councilwoman uh, Larson. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Saunders, we're going to move on. You said Ms. Giles. Uh, I, there was some. We would greatly appreciate if she could speak a little bit to the uh, experience within the Department of Social Services. Okay, and if we could do that briefly, then Councilwoman Robertson has a question, and then we need to move on to our uh, next section. Good afternoon, members of Council. This is Shonda Giles, Director of Social Services. Can you all hear me? Yes, we can. 
I will be as briefly, um, as I will speak briefly as possible, but just on behalf of social services, I think I've been before council and before the Education and Human Services Committee speaking on the differential um, pay that our social services receives in comparison to surrounding jurisdictions. Um, and looking at the Gallagher study and looking at what um, our salaries were comparable to, particularly for those staff who determined eligibility for public assistance programs, they were comparable to Petersburg, meaning that our staff actually made about $45 less than Petersburg staff doing the same job. Um, Petersburg has a little over 20,000 recipients of public assistance, whereas Richmond has 86,000 or a little over 86,000. So for the work that they were doing, they were not being paid for that. Um, the full implementation of Gallagher for us actually impacted 81% of our staff, meaning 19% were paid at market value and 81% were not. Um, we implemented this in March and speaking to um, the issues for us, it was both recruitment and retention. But in order to get to um, retention, we had to stop that churn, that constant turnover that we were having. And it, salary was an issue. I could speak anecdotally. Um, I meet with staff quarterly for now virtual coffee with the directors and our new hires are very candid and they will say I came to Richmond because I told I was told if I worked for you guys for a year or two, I could get hired and be paid $10,000 more, um, depending if they went to Henrico or Chesterfield. And our ability to recruit um, similar candidates was because our salaries were not competitive for that type of experience. With the implementation of the Gallagher study, we're now able to look at our hiring salaries as well um, and offer more in our hiring salaries for that experience and therefore not creating compression, whereas before we could not do it and you would find that we would repost jobs regularly um, because the candidates that we were looking for weren't applying or were expecting a higher salary. Um, for the positions we've extended offers for since Gallagher, everyone has accepted and there's not been one request for salary negotiations. Um, I could go on, but I do think that the employees' words speak the best. Um, and so I will read just a statement from one of our employees who's worked with us for a while. She wrote, my current role with DSS is working directly with citizens of Richmond to address and resolve their service inquiries. I have been with the agency for 29 years and five months. What brought me to Richmond is my commitment to helping others. When I heard about the market-driven increases, I could not believe what I was hearing. This increase in compensation will allow me to reduce the hours I work on part-time jobs and spend more time with my kids and grandson. To know that they do see all that we do is amazing. Thank you. Um, and I have testimonial after testimonial after testimonial um, regarding that, I can tell you for almost six years now that I've been in this position, it's been a constant ask for staff. I am continually losing CPS, foster care benefits across the board. Um, staff at Henrico and Chesterfield, we are training ground for other localities um, and our amazing staff are going there. Um, and so I am grateful for the implementation. My expectation is that it, that it will stop the churn um, we fall squarely within those statistics that um, Mr. Saunders said earlier, where we're losing our staff between that two to five year period. So we're using te losing tenured staff. Once they're fully trained and air able to carry a, a full caseload, we're then losing them to another locality who's reaping the benefit, the reward of the training they've received here. I'm happy Thank to you, answer questions you may have. Thank you, Ms. Giles. Appreciate that. Um,
that information and sharing the perspective from um, employees. Um, I am going to, there are two more questions. One person has not spoke, spoken, so I'm going to go to Ms. Trammell and then the last question uh, with Ms. Robertson and then any additional information we need, members will get that uh, and such that we can go on to uh, part two of our session. So Councilwoman Trammell, I'm going to ask that you will proceed with your question. Then Councilwoman Robertson, and we'll close out this section. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I have a question for Mr. Saunders. I need to ask you something. If we're talking about the pay for everyone, you know, like for city employees, the police, and the fire, but what happens when we kind of like give them, you know, a little bit more, and then you got Chesterfield and Hemrichel, just like with the police and the fire, um, look how much they're off how much they're offering police officers and firefighters and all of that to take them from us. And when you see they, that they give more incentives for them to come there, how do we match that? How do we, you know, and we're going to get this money, I guess, you know, pretty soon from the, um, I guess, um, whatever it's called. The, um, I call it stimulus money. Everybody else. The ARP, Councilwoman Trammell. Thank you. Thank you, Madam. Uh -huh. Yes. Uh -huh. So if, if we're getting this and Chesapeake and here, Michael's getting that, will they be offering their employees and police and fire more? And then how do we how do we counteract that? And I mean, we have lost I mean, we've lost some great people. I mean, city employees, not, you know, ones that work here at City Hall, also police and fire. Um, you know, they said they're getting out of here and. So how, what do we do? What kind of incentives do we give them? I mean, to keep them with us, because we don't need to lose the experienced um, city employees that we have here. Can you help me with that, Lincoln? I was going to talk uh, to you when we have our meeting. Yes, ma'am. And I right. look forward to any, any additional further conversations. Um, I would say, Councilman Trammell, because if, if – in just tell me if I'm understanding your question correctly, because you're you're talking about the police and fire, the the pay, but you you were also including general employees in that, correct? You're not just talking public safety, but all all of our city employees. So so that's where um, what is critical for us as a city in order to to address it, because as as Director Giles mentioned, we're seeing it in social services, we're seeing it in our planners, our permit reviewers. Um, um, finance staff, et cetera. I mean, there's really probably no department that does not experience uh, a degree of turnover or attrition due to um, market competitiveness, right? Um, you know, we're, we are, we are often lucky and, and happy for folks who are able to take a, a higher, take a, you know, maybe get in a career advancement opportunity, et cetera. But what, but, but it, it, it is a gut punch when we lose them simply due to market wages competitive to, to greater wages in another locality. So the way that we address that for public safety as well as general employees is by um, implementing our by by essentially looking at where we are in relation to market and making the necessary adjustments um, to get to market and then funding our, our cost of living adjustments to maintain our, our competitive position. Um, there will always be cases where um, uh, you know, one offer or another tries to dangle something in order to, 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 you know, recruit employees away. But if we stay in that market range, we will, we will largely be able to, um, retain our talent and recruit the talent we need. Um, 
for public safety for years, that has been funding the pay plan. Uh, when Mayor Stoney came into the office, it had been several years without the step increases. And so that was a big priority for the mayor was was getting us back in the annual habit of funding those step increases. Um, I will say when the Gallagher study was was completed, we were so also far below in actual um, full time equivalent employees in the general administration. That kind of had to be the priority rather than adjusting pay. We needed to get more position for funding. You know, we needed to fund more of our vacancies. And so that became a competing funding priority with addressing compensation. The senior leadership of the administration, the DCAOs, um, chiefs, et cetera, uh, when we all sat down to make our recommendations to the mayor related to the budget, um, very real sacrifices were made in regards to having, you know, putting funding in, into more positions versus into funding the competitiveness of these wages. Because you know, it's 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 certainly something we're going to need. We need to continue to build back, but we need to build back stronger. So by adjusting the competitiveness of our wages uh, in the future, when we do look to expand FTEs in order to enhance services in certain areas or to um, uh, or to to, um, you know, continue to build our capacity, we'll be building back from a stronger place than if we continue to have a 16% turnover and churn of our employees that are leaving for other positions. So we train them and then they ship out. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. Just one more thing. Lincoln, what about, what do we do about all the vacancies? Because I have been out here for months and months talking to the citizens still, and Mm -hmm. all they keep saying, you know, that this is not getting done, that's not getting done, potholes, this, that. Um, the, the speeding all in different neighborhoods. And I said, we don't have enough police. We don't have enough this. We don't have enough people in public works. It, um, it's like the vacancies are not being filled. That really yes. burns up the, the homeowners, the taxpayers who says, I can't get my pothole out here filled. I can't get my streets paid. I've been waiting 40 years. And then you come back and you tell me you don't have enough people. Then what are y'all doing? What are you doing for all of our money? How do I Ms. answer Tramble. that question? I, Ms. I, I, hope, I hope I have the answer for you because I and I think it's I can make it try and make it a quick one. Implementing phase two of the Gallagher study is is the most important thing we can do to address our vacancies. I mentioned, you know, uh, IT is 16 percent. But when our solid waste workers, the folks who pick up your trash are paid nine percent below where the market should be, it makes it very hard for Director Vincent to hire the workers he needs to keep those services going. Obviously, the same applies to potholes and other city services. But when we have 16 percent vacancy of our funded positions, that means we're we are we are not providing as many services as um, we or you, the council, have authorized in the budget. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. Councilwoman Robertson, and we will wrap up from here. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, two quick questions. One, um, the comparative chart that you had, A and B, um, A, B, and 5%, uh, how, uh, you don't have to give me an answer to that, but I think it's important that we get an answer. Uh, and I think you've mentioned this somewhat in your slide presentation. If we were to go with that, how does that fall short of, uh, Achieving the goal and the objective that you're attempting to achieve with the 
uh, phase two implementation of retainage and also getting to that medium range pay for all employees. Um, and the other question, uh, I, I just want us to be fully aware of how we will miss the mark and whether or not it's going to require us in a future year to come back to the same implementation of phase two. Um, the other question that I have is in regards to, we frequently talk about people leaving and going to Henrico and going to Chesterfield. Uh, it'd be good to know how many folk are actually leaving uh, that we know of, that we can say is due to compensation and that are going to Henrik and Chesterfield. My concern is as we m m make progress in doing more distant working, people can live anywhere they choose and work almost anywhere we choose. And so I would like to see us do a better comparison. I like the, um, the comparison to Petersburg as it relates to social services, but I think we should also have a better feel for what the comparison is to cities that are our size and that are providing the same uh, demographics of population and case management um, so that we can have a better look at. Comparing us to Chesterfield and Henrico is not apples to apples, and we know that, even though that is our region and it's likely that people that live here will select that um, but I think that we uh, we are still may need to be concerned about whether or not we are adequately paying and compare apples to apples in service delivery at 86,000 versus 40-some. Okay. Mr. Saunders, if you could uh, briefly respond and if it is necessary to get back with us uh, in writing, uh, please indicate that. We will need to move on um, yeah. at at 2. I, I believe I get your message valid clear. You want to um, wrap this up. I'll try and answer it quickly, which is that, um, Vice President Robertson, we, you know, this is the implementation of phase two. We will not need to re-implement phase two as long as we keep up with uh, consumer price index and, and, you know, kind of annual inflation through cost of living adjustments. We will not be done implementing the Gallagher study until we have also implemented phase three. And phase three is adjusting the compression and the, 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 pay for those who are above, um, you know, at midpoint or above. So we there. So essentially there is still a third phase, but that's part of why we believe it's so important to, to address phase two now. And a lot of work went in, a lot of sacrifice went in into funding phase two versus funding positions or other other potential priorities. Um, we think this is the most important step for, you know, addressing the vacancy and turnover. But but we won't be done until we we bring you a plan to fund phase three as well. So I just want to be transparent about that. Mr. Saunders, thank you for the presentation. And uh, I certainly have questions, but I will follow up with you as well. And uh, thank you again, Ms. Giles, for joining and sharing uh, in terms of this experience and impact on social services. With that, we will now move on to the analysis of the proposed FY22-26 capital improvement plan. Mr. Bill Eckelberger and Mr. Anderson, if you would. Bill, I'm going to turn it over to you at this point. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I'm going to be going through the presentation uh, with you this afternoon uh, to the extent it's possible to get through it in the time remaining. 
Samson is ill and won't be able to join us this afternoon. Um, let me try to share my screen with you. And I've got to look and see which one it actually is. There it is. And hopefully you can see that now. Um, what I want to do first is make this thing move. Um, like we did with the um, operating presentation, I want to go first into some uh, key parameters that that can guide council as it goes through its its amendments to the capital budget. Um, in a general sense, uh, again, just as it was with the operating budget, we do not yet know uh, what's going to be um, available from the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, the capital budget that's before you does not include any CARES Act funding from the federal government. It does not include any American Rescue Plan Act funding or potential federal infrastructure funds from the the infrastructure legislation that's being debated in Congress right now. Um, another key point is that council must maintain a balanced budget with capital as well as within operating. It's just even a little more complex in capital. Um, you can only add revenues overall if you adopt the revenue measure at the same time. Uh, in CIP text amendments must impose a condition on the administration of an appropriation of funds. That's the same as it is with operating. Um, it's a key thing to note that you've got a capital plan that covers five years, but only FY22 represents an actual appropriation of, of funds. Uh, FY23 through 26 are planned expenditures. Um, that's important to note because generally construction on capital projects may not begin until all funds are actually appropriated. And the city has frequently appropriated and frequently almost usually appropriated partial funding for capital projects. And that uh, results in a delay in the starting date with potential cost increases. A legitimate standalone phase of a multi-phase project may move forward. Um, and they've been able to do some planning for partially funded projects. But for those of you who wonder why a project that you thought was in the budget has been languishing for two, three, four years or more, it's because Richmond approaches its capital uh, funding by providing partial appropriations. And in order to contract for that project, they have to wait until they've got full funding and then inflation takes its toll on what full funding means. Some restrictions are unique to the CIP. Cash, revenue bonds, federal, state, and other funds must remain in the year proposed. And revenue bonds are usually restricted to utility and parking projects. General obligation debt is limited by the city's debt, to debt policy model. Um, the geo bond debt capacity is the maximum that can be added during the five year CIP. Um, the CIP five year plan that's before you right now 
uh, we are told, utilizes all 389.9 million of the geobond debt capacity. Geobond debt proposed for the four plan years may not be moved into FY22. There is a little codicil to that may not. It is the same thing as the the issue with certifications of additional general fund revenues, for example, the assessor, when the assessor gave us those additional um, revenue numbers uh, for the operating budget, um, those have to be certified as available. So if you wanted to move geo bond debt or federal funds or any other funds from one of those out years in the plan to FY22 and actually spend it, you've got to get the administration to certify that those monies are gonna be available. Um, the debt policy model, I want to go over that real quickly. Your overall debt cap is 3.75% of taxable real estate, personal property, machinery, and tools. That is a huge number. And if you ever actually spent that or authorized that much debt, you would be hard pressed to pay your debt service on it. So the city has adopted a, a more restrictive uh, model and debt service can be no more than 10% of your general fund budget plus the RPS budget plus state highway and street maintenance funds. And then you take away the city contribution to the Richmond uh, public schools, and that's done to prevent a double count. There's some other things that make your debt perhaps a little more aggressive in the payoff. Uh, you've got a 10-year principal page shall not be less than 60% and the average term is equal to the useful life of the project, but no longer than 30 years. An important thing here, and I've underlined it, put it in bold and put it in red because it comes up from time to time. Why don't we just change the debt, the debt model and authorize more debt? And the reason is you should only change the city's debt policy at you've done a considerable amount of analysis on the implications and you've consulted with the city's financial advisors and the reason for that is that the bond rating agencies take your commitment to your debt policy very seriously and if they see you wavering in the commitment you've made to control your debt they might get nervous about your ability to repay it's very similar to the way a credit card company would view your your um, your available credit if they saw you potentially running up a lot of debt um, in the future. I'll pause now and see if there are any questions about the the restrictions that we have, and then if there are none, I'll move on to um, trying to do this analysis of the capital budget. Um, Bill, there are none at this time. Okay, what have we looked at? Well, for FY22 proposed, which is the budget before you, versus FY22 planned, which was what you thought you were authorizing for this year when you passed the FY21 budget, we've looked at what's new, what was removed, are there increases or decreases in the amount compared to the plan, and what has not changed? And why do we look at that? And the answer is, well, if you're not going to look at your plan when you actually make appropriations, there's very little utility in doing the plan. So 
we also look at project and funding distribution by category and by fund source. And we'll get into both of those very, very briefly in a minute. Um, we also look and see if there's anything else that stands out or raises questions. And one example of that in this year's budget is the movement to the complete streets approach to funding uh, your, your streets uh, budget. Um, we also look at any council member questions that we might get while we're working on the review of the capital budget. So an overview. There are $63.2 million worth of general funds projects proposed for FY22. In FY21, your plan for FY22 was $65.6 million, so the appropriation recommended um, is a decrease of 2.4 million uh, or 3.71%. Um, I think I, I, well, let me, let me not, not speculate on that. Uh, there are 42 projects this year, 13 are new, 10 projects that were planned in the plan for last year have been removed. Uh, nine projects are increased from what was planned in FY21 and two projects have decreased in the dollar amount since FY21. I am not going to go over each and every project in the capital plan uh, that's before you. There are spreadsheets at the end of this presentation as an appendix, and you'll be able to take a look at those. If you have any questions, you know, please get them to me and we'll try to get answers for them. Uh, and as we go through this, you may have some questions and we'll try to make notes of those as well. So your debt capacity for 22 through 26, the CI, the five-year CIP is 389.9 million. Um, that 389.9 million is 387.7 millions in bonds and short-term debt and 2.2 million in project balances. And the project balances are included in this debt total because they are coming, they're balances that are derived from projects that were previously authorized to be funded from GEO bonds. And those projects have been completed and they don't need the amount that was authorized. So that's debt capacity that can be moved over. It was previously used. They don't need to use it all and now they're giving some back that, that can be used for, um, uh, for these new projects as we move into the next uh, few years. You can see they're broken down here. How much is GOB? Um, how much is parking enterprise? There's 15 million in FY24 for parking uh, enterprise bonds. Short-term debt, there's a few million dollars, seven, 5.6, 6.665. That's a mechanism that the, the city uses for, they have a short-term line of credit that they go to to get the cash they need to move their projects forward once they're fully funded. Some other localities, you might hear them talk about bond anticipation notes, bans, and the city doesn't use bans, they use this line of credit instead. And that's that gray bar right there, that's the money that's funding these projects that are moving forward. The shifts in the CIP, why is it a little bit smaller than you thought it was going to be? Um, those are determined by things like 
changes in the debt capacity, changes in federal funding, changes in the state funding levels, changes in city revenues. And the changes in city revenues can have a positive or a negative effect on your debt capacity. If you remember back to that model that I was explaining, um, when, when last year you adopted a general fund budget that was $38 million less than what had originally been proposed, that would have had a ripple effect through your debt capacity. So it's one issue that you're dealing with in this five-year plan. Um, you've also got some shifts in general fund versus special funds, and we'll get to a couple of those as we go through this. Again, as I mentioned earlier, um, FY22 appropriations are 2.4 million or about 3.7% less than what had originally been planned when you passed the budget last year. Uh, the proposed CIP, as I said, 63.2 million. It's a decrease of 2.4. Four categories are increasing when compared to the plan by a total of 12.1 million. City facilities are increasing by 2.1. Economic and community development by 600,000. Public safety increasing by 7.3. And equipment by 2. Three other categories are, plan, are proposed to decrease by 14.5 million when compared to um, the total uh, from FY21. Culture and recreation, 300,000. Education, 900,000. Transportation, 13.4 million. That's a large one. We will come back to it, but you see the red arrow on this chart that makes a note that the CVTA, the Central Virginia Transportation um, Authority, a uh, special fund was created. And the, the requirement for the CVTA is that those funds not be treated as general fund, but they be put in your special fund budget. And that's this big $13.4 million reduction in transportation. It is not an actual reduction in transportation funding. It's just moving it from the, from the general fund budget to the special fund budget. In the future, I would think it might be prudent to include your special fund projects in your CIP um, in a similar way to what you do now for your utility projects. Special fund is just another type of of non-general fund, and we show those non-general fund utility projects in the in the CIP, and probably in the future, um, we should be showing the um, the special fund capital projects as well. Mr. Eckelberger, before yes, you leave the slide, uh, Councilwoman Lambert has a question. Yes, thank you, Madam President. Um, Mr. Eckelberger, I just wanted to know where it says four categories have increased plan totaling, uh, 12.1 million. For public safety, that 7.3 million, what um, is that going towards? We're going to get to that in a second. Oh, okay. Um, and let me let me just say this, if you can bear with me. Mm -hmm. um, this half of the presentation originally Samson was going to do, and I worked with him as we developed it, but I'm not as familiar with these sections of the slides as Samson would have been. So if there are questions um, that deal with a slide that we might get to in the future uh, shortly. Um, I'll just defer answering those until we get to that. And then if I can't answer it at that point by looking at the slides and, and 
um, then we'll note that question and we'll get an answer back to you. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, now we're going to go by category, which includes public safety. Um, the number of projects by category, you can see in this chart, um, you've got four city facility projects. You've got uh, four culture and recreation, three economic development, uh, one education, one public safety. Uh, you've got 22 transportation projects and one city equipment project. Um, this is focused on projects that propose to actually get funding at FY22 and does not include those projects that are funded only in the out years because those are planned years. They're not, um, they're not actual appropriations. City facilities. Uh, in terms of what was planned versus proposed, um, there's no change there. This is by the category. Um, in FY22, proposed city facilities, you had 4.6 million versus 22, 2.5 million plan. That's an increase of 2.5. And the chart above just shows the different component parts uh, of that net 2.1 million. Categories are mostly routine maintenance and equipment replacement due to age and usage. They include some renovations within City Hall to, due to the age of the building. City Hall rooms 101 and 103 are being renovated uh, after a space utilization study. Rooms 100, 102, and the fourth floor have already been renovated following this study. And you can see there's a, a new project. There's 800,000 that was not planned in FY22 and 800,000 is in there in FY22. You can find the actual projects back in the in the appendices as we go through those. And then you have um, uh, the project increases. There was an increase. Uh, pre uh, excuse the uh, fire engine going by. Uh, projects that are increasing were originally planned for two million and are now proposed to receive three point four. Uh, there was no change in a couple of projects here. 500,000 was proposed, uh, planned, and 500,000 proposed. And going back to the top, there were no projects that were um, included in the budget for planning purposes, but not included in the budget uh, that's proposed and before you now. Moving on to cultural culture and recreation. Um, the FY22 proposal for culture and recreation is 4.1 million versus the plan 4.3. So that's uh, about a $250,000 uh, net increase. Uh, one project has a proposed increase of a million versus the plan. That's Southside Regional Park and Community Center uh, is now proposed for funding of 1.5 million and it had been planned at half a million. Two planned projects are removed from the FY22 proposed uh, budget that were in the plan for FY22. Uh, the swimming pools uh, and Hickory Hill Community Center and the community center funding is now broken out by individual centers. The James River Park infrastructure 
has planned funding in the out years of $100,000. And you can see here, um, again, up top, you have that one project that was planned at 1.3 or two projects that were planned at 1.3 and now they've been removed. Uh, you've got projects that were planned at 2.6 and now are in at 2.6. You've got one project that was planned at half a million and now is at 1.5. And then you've got no projects that are new. These are all everything in your culture and recreation was at least the project you expected to see. Uh, when you got to FY22. Economic and community development. The proposed uh, capital budget for economic and com community development for FY22 is $900,000 versus planned $300,000. That's a net increase of $600,000. The enslaved African Heritage Campus has planned funding of $27.9 million from FY23 to FY26, but no funding in FY22. There's a separate slide on this, um, if I recall correctly, in a minute, because yes, there's no funding in FY22, but there's a balance available from a previous year. Uh, planned FY22 for neighborhoods in bloom has been removed at amount, the amount of $100,000, and percent for the arts that had been planned uh, at 200,000 is now proposed at about 600,000. And that increase is tied to an appropriated fund balance. So let me move on and talk briefly about the Enslaved African Heritage Campus Project. The total budget for this project is $38 million over a number of years. As I mentioned, there's a prior year appropriation of 1.7 that's still available for use. And that's going to be used for a number of purposes um, during the upcoming fiscal year uh, to get this project moving and be ready when monies become available beginning in FY23. So you'll have $1.7 million to spend mostly on planning and, and a few other incidental costs. Uh, and then in FY23, you'll start the project in earnest. The proposed appropriations during that period are 279 uh, the total appropriated and planned is 29.6. Uh, the rainy. Hmm. Um, I got to correct that slide. And talk to Samson about it because the remaining need would appear to be some. Um, I'll get I'll get that slide corrected and get it to you. Um, the amount of money for each of these items you can see over here. There's a parking facility and construction that's going to cost 15 million. That's the FY24, and if you remember back, there's 15 million in parking enterprise bonds that um, are in FY24. That's for the parking deck for the um, enslaved African Heritage Campus. Um, the land acquisition is about 3 million. Community engagement and design is about 2 million. P parking facility design is about a million, and construction is 17. Uh, million. The actual construction on that is 17 million. And I want to pause just a second and see. Oh, there's one. I, I'm not going to be able to find what I wanted to. I was trying to look in the capital budget and give you an idea of the um, 
the total project cost for this African Heritage Museum and what's going to be remaining need um, in the out years. But I can't look that up right now because it's not in the capital budget for FY22. Um, but I'll get that revised slide to you folks. Um, the education budget is proposed for 2.1 million versus a plan of 3 million. The decrease of 900,000 is the school capital maintenance project. If you look out into FY24, uh, George with high school is in the plan for FY24 at 100 million and the technical education center is in the plan for 100 million. Um, again, there's a small decrease um, in uh, school capital maintenance project. Public safety. Mr. Eckelberger, yes, um, back to the prior slide, I believe Councilwoman Lambert has a question. Yes, um, you were speaking about the schools, um, their capital budget. Um, with everything that's going on with the school board just voting to pass a resolution, how is that affecting us? Um, how does that affect what you're what you know what's on the slide? Can you bring it, some clarity to that for me, please? It it should not affect the the amount shown on the slide. Okay. The, the project is going to be, for example, George with High School is going to be a hundred million budgeted for the high school. The technical center is going to be a hundred million. Um, where you might run into some some issues when you start talking about doing these projects is um, if the city which has experience in doing these projects and has a team set up to move forward during these projects if you switch project management you may delay projects and delay in projects I can tell you from my experience with the state uh, you delay a project and that that project budget gets eaten partly by inflation so you're mm -hmm. paying more for the same thing which is not to argue one way or the other whether the school board or city the city should have administrative control over these projects. That's a policy decision that needs to be made separately from the budget. Okay. It's simply a caveat or caution, if you will, that there can be costs with transitioning your management team in the middle of a capital program mm -hmm. and delay cost money. Mm -hmm. and depending on the economic environment, um, for example, if the president's proposed infrastructure bill passes mm -hmm. and the United States has the impact on the the world market for building materials that China had back in about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. you will see marked inflationary inflationary increases uh, on the cost of your capital projects. So mm -hmm. I, I expect to see inflation in capital outlay tick up if that infrastructure bill passes. That will have an impact on this no matter what, but okay. every year a project is delayed, that impact is going to be greater. So again, not no opinion as to who should manage these at all. That's a policy decision for you folks to work out with the school board. Okay. But a cautionary note. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Public safety. Public safety, the proposed budget for public safety is 10.9 million. It had been planned at 3.6. That's an increase of 7.3. Um, there's a project to improve security in court buildings and the juvenile detention center. Uh, there are projects to repair and replace inoperable 
inefficient building mechanical systems, new roofs on fire stations, and fire station 12 replacement, 6.4 million, was last renovated 40, 40 years ago and does not meet the current code standards. Uh, renovation in its current envelope is not practical uh, because of the lot size. Um, I think you'll see that's the most of the increase that was planned versus proposed. Um, and one of the things that's different here is in previous budgets, you might have seen this as just one fire station replacement in a long list of potential fire um, station replacements. And what council asked the administration to do, and this is the, the first real example of it, is not to lump a number of independent projects into umbrella projects any longer, but to break them out separately. So now you're seeing fire station 12 broken out separately from what used to be an umbrella project. The, the utility in that is that when it was an umbrella project, these projects could stay in the list for years and priorities would change and, and council thought that it had voted to approve money for this project. But what you really did is you you voted money to do fire station renovation and replacements generally, but not a particular one. And so there was some frustration with that. And this is a, a, a new approach, but one that I think is going to be beneficial. Transportation projects. Again, proposed 33.5 million versus plans 46.9, a net decrease of 13.4. Almost all of that uh, is attributable to the $15 million reduction in CIP due to the creation of the Central Virginia Transportation Authority Special Fund. Um, most of your projects in transportation are funded with state and federal dollars, um, and most of them are citywide in nature. They're not in any particular um, district. Let's talk about complete streets for a minute. There's a new project this year, complete streets. It's appropriated at $8,150,000, and it's funded from reassignments from a number of former capital projects. Citywide traffic calming measures have been rolled into street feet. <laughs> Say that quickly twice. Citywide traffic calming measures have been rolled into complete streets, as have the previous new sidewalk program, the pedestrian safety crossing improvement program, various sidewalk programs for repairs, repairs and replacements, street sidewalks and alley improvement project, traffic control installation project, and just transportation projects generally. Uh, a big portion of the general transportation projects has been rolled into complete into complete streets. Um, there's no way to tell, no way to develop a crosswalk from these previous projects to say now under complete streets, citywide traffic calming measures, which was X million dollars, now you're going to spend the same number of dollars on uh, traffic calming measures in complete streets. Um, the reason for that is Complete Streets gives Department of Public Works the flexibility to address these projects they're taking on in a holistic way. So if they go in to do work on 
a particular intersection or a particular stretch of road, they can do draw money from the com complete streets projects to pay for all of the aspects they need to, where before they had to look and say, okay, that's a separate project for citywide calming. It's a separate uh, project because it's new sidewalks. It's I got to do some pedestrian safety crossing. And if one of those pots of money wasn't available, they couldn't do the holistic approach to that that transportation project. And the, the goal, hopefully, is that complete streets will allow that holistic approach. Um, the CIP, Mr. Transportation Reassignment. Mr. Uh, Eichelberger, yes, uh, uh, if you would go back to the prior uh, slide, please. Sure. Uh, Councilwoman Jordan, do you have a question? Or a yes. 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 Thank you so much. And um, I'm wondering if administration can give us an update on when we might see a breakdown of the projects in complete streets. Um, it would just be helpful to know no. completely unspecified funds at this point. Thank you um, for that inquiry. Mr. Saunders, um, I think you're still on. Yeah. If that information can be provided as soon as possible. Um, I feel I, if it's all right, I would love to follow up in writing on this one. I do think it's. Yes, no, no, uh, that's what I meant. Not in this moment. Right. Okay. Because Councilwoman, uh, or President Newbillin for, for Councilwoman Jordan, I do, I do believe that it is a combination of we, you know, we have the, uh, like paving, for example, is an item where we have all of our streets graded and we know what the priorities are. And so as funding is, is appropriated, we're able to work through, you know, our, our street improvements by uh, getting to the, um, you know, poorest graded um, streets and neighborhoods first and then, then working our way through the list. Uh, I do think there's a combination of both. We have um, probably many planned efforts in this complete streets funding, but also knowing that um, there is a combination of responsiveness to citizen requests and or um, you know needs that we come up throughout the year you know for example um, there's there's oftentimes during the fiscal year where we are we receive requests for traffic calming measures in certain streets or neighborhoods and you know given the way we budget in the past it's been hard to budget for those because we didn't have kind of that flexibility built into how we budget to address the, the the new things that come up during the fiscal year, not just those things that were planned in the prior year. Thank you. Um, that is helpful, but I also feel like to the extent possible to understand what is already assigned and already yeah, planned. Um, those are questions that you know I think every every council member gets on a you know sort of routine basis from constituents, and um, I'd just be very eager to see that level of detail. Thank you. And we'd be happy, and I believe our Director of Public Works, Bobby Vincent, is on and can provide further content now, or again, we can follow up in writing. Uh, I would like to make sure we get something in writing so that everyone can have that. If there's something, uh, I, I think, if there is something that uh, Mr. Vincent can provide at this point that's going to provide clarification in terms of Ms. Jordan's question, I if we could have him speak briefly, we would, I think it may help with at least framing exactly what we need to follow up in writing with. 
Okay, and if you would hold one second, Ms. Larson, does your question relate to the, it relates to the same uh, matter, correct? Um, yes, yeah, so I just wanted to follow up um, because a couple weeks ago I had asked about the requests that council members put in for CIPs, and a lot of those are like traffic calming measures and, and that kind of stuff, or uh, recommendations from traffic studies, which I think would be applicable to what we're discussing here. And I think at the time, uh, Mr. Saunders had indicated, um, you know, like there wasn't any there wasn't going to be any money in the CIP this year for those types of measures. And I had responded and said, well, why are we submitting this? So I just don't want to let that. Maybe this is not something to decide in the, this moment, but I've been doing this every year. I've been on council. And if that is not a productive way for us to get traffic calming measures um, in our districts, then we need to discuss a productive way to do that and to give feedback that we are getting directly from our neighborhoods. Thank you, Ms. Larson. Um, Mr. Vincent, is there a comment at this point? Mr. Saunders has uh, yes. indicated um, that. Okay. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Um, uh, the Department of Public Works, uh, we are working diligently to try to make certain that we um, not just put projects out, but put projects out in a very definitive way um, for not only our, our council representatives, but also for the citizens. And we don't want to do that prematurely. So when we work on a paving project, uh, we have to work with the Department of Public Utilities as well as the other um, uh, utility agencies, be it um, Dominion Power, Comcast, Verizon, etc., to make certain that there's not going to be any conflicts or any major conflicts prior to us proceeding. We also work with economic development in order to make certain that there's no um, major conflicts coming about. Um, so we tend to wait and post on our website what the paving projects are. And looking at the way that the money is funded this year, um, we're looking at including a lot of the other projects that's identified on here in, in terms of subtitles um, as a part of our paving program. So we will be replacing signage, things of that nature, along with our paving program. The paving program for fiscal year um, that, that we're currently in now is already set, and obviously we're winding down um, as we approach June 30th, and the upcoming paving listing will be um, posted um, shortly thereafter. And we will certainly be able to work with you all in a presentation format to let you know which areas uh, will in fact be paved, as well as um, what sub um, work will be done as a part of each one of those projects. Thank you, Mr. Vincent. Um, I think that then what is uh, uh, on the table for response back goes back to Ms. Jordan's uh, comment. And so I believe uh, Mr. Saunders is going to I get I work with you to get uh, some information in terms of items included here, uh, it, it, you know, in the broader category. Uh, Councilwoman Jordan. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Vincent, it's always great to see you and your team has been doing fantastic work. Just so I can understand and help set expectations. And um, obviously, it's my first time going through the budget process. 
When do you think that meeting and presentation is likely to happen? Uh, we can certainly do that. Um, we're, we're prepared really to do it at any time. Uh, we know pretty much or have a good anticipation of what our funding level uh, will be. Um, and we're working with the Department of Public Utilities on a monthly basis. We just haven't posted it yet due to the fact that we don't know if we're going to do the work in this calendar year or in next calendar year, but certainly within fiscal year um, 22. So uh, we're just trying to finalize how we're going to go about making the assignments. And uh, I mean, I received a phone call this morning because a citizen said that we were going to pay their neighborhood this spring and we're in springtime. So people don't have a complete understanding of dates and neither do we when we are talking about weather and or any other unforeseen circumstances. So what I don't want to do is to tell someone that we're going to be there to pave their neighborhood on April the 15th and uh, something comes about and we can't be there until May 1st and now something that's positive turns into something negative. So we want to be as factual as positive as possible and the best way for people to know that we're coming to their neighborhood is on a quarterly basis and uh, to let people know what dates we're coming is when signs actually go up within their communities. Okay, but do you think we'll get that meeting before the end of our budget work sessions? We can. Okay. Yes, I think that's Mr. Benson and Mr. Saunders and Councilwoman Jordan. I thought that was exactly what you were asking for prior to uh, our completion, get some sense of what's in these categories and where in terms of projects. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And Councilwoman Jordan, is that what you're? Yes, thank you very oh. much. Okay. Welcome. Councilwoman Larson. Um, just one follow-up regarding the streets being paved. Uh, council had passed a resolution, uh, maybe it was an ordinance a couple of years ago, asking for an annual update from the administration um, by or before February 1st of every year. And I recently sent an email to um, council president just reminding of her of that and hoping that we could get that on an upcoming agenda. Yes. Councilwoman Larson, I, I have that and I am looking to have that be a uh, part of our upcoming uh, informal. Thank you. Councilwoman Trammell. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. In reference to Councilwoman Trammell, you go, you're, you're muted. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, I, we can. I just got another, um, another text from a citizen so upset he's like just screaming and I had to put him I had to cut him off but anyway um, he's talking about all the speeding that's going on he says you all talk about safety with the streets and all of that but here I just got you know another person to run through my yard knocked our mailboxes down on Romsey Boulevard yesterday I was on Gordon Avenue and also on East 16th Street all their complaints about you know you all talk about traffic you talk about you know, pedestrian, you know, their safety, you're putting these things up there over there by McGuire Drive and on um, Broad Rock, and people are speeding through there. There is so many accidents. They're asking, what are we doing? Where is the traffic division? Well, who is... 
Mayor, okay. Madam President, Ms. can you hear me? I don't know yeah. why you're saying, I'm not Yeah, you went out a bit, but I think. I know. Yes, but we, we got you. Uh, Mr. Saunders, is it possible? possible. You've, you've heard, heard Councilwoman Trammell's concern relative to speeding and enforcement. Is it possible that we could have some update relative to that item and what it is that that's being done? And not, I'm not in this moment, uh, Mr. Saunders, but if we could maybe bring that back for Monday I, as well. For Monday or um, if the if the chair if the chairwoman would be amenable, it could be a good conversation for our public safety committee and talk about how we yeah, that collaborate be between our operations, our public works uh, funding as well as um, policing, et cetera. So um, we have some items that are in uh, process for us related to um, speed enforcement using technology as well as so we would love to have a, a more of a work session style conversation with council on uh, how we address um, neighborhood speeding. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. Councilwoman Trammell, would that be okay to just come back to, because it sounds as if there could be a more comprehensive discussion, bringing it back to your public safety committee. Madam President, I don't know what's going on with this computer. Now I can't see. It, it cut me off a minute ago, and I didn't touch this thing. But anyway, um, the, the citizens are just saying that they are just sick and tired of nothing being done about public safety as far as the speeding and they talk about y'all are talking about putting um, you know the um, common devices and they're just going over them on McGuire Drive they're just going around them those the common devices that we have down in the street that we work so hard to get them on and also the guy just just texted me again and just said how you what are you going to do about Walmsley Boulevard you can't put common devices there because it's, it's the speed limit, you know, you just, they're going 60 to 70 miles an hour and on that stretch. And also on Warwick Road, the 4400 block of Warwick Road. Another mm -hmm. e text from a lady over there this morning. But Lincoln, I appreciate all your help mm -hmm. that you can give me and what I can let the citizens know what, you know, how we're going to, um, how we're going to address this issue. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Trammell. And uh, Mr. Saunders, based on the fact that Councilwoman Trammell has very specific locations she wants to address, I think uh, if you could uh, work with, reach out to Councilwoman Trammell to uh, absolutely uh, see when this could get into a work session and a report back to the whole body. Certainly. Thank you. Mr. Eckelberg. Yes, ma'am. What I want to do now is move on to the transportation reassignments that I mentioned. Uh, there are 20 million in transportation projects that were planned for FY22 that are not in the proposed FY22. Um, Five million of those planned projects that were listed on that previous slide have gone to complete streets and 15 million is the special fund um, and the special fund is the CBTA, Central Virginia Transportation Authority. Want to make one note here, and I think the council member is is aware of this. Um, the budget office asked that I let everybody know that they received notification from the state that they will be getting an additional 1.5 million for FY22 that is specifically tied to the Forest Hill Avenue. Uh, project that's ongoing 
and that distribution will occur in FY22 and progress will be made in FY23. But Council will need to approve an amendment to the budget in order to accept those additional state funds and keep this project moving forward. So that's just one correction to the budget that they asked me to make you folks aware of. And then um, Ordinance 2021. Mr. Mr. Eckerberger, yes. before you move forward uh, from the prior slide, Councilwoman Robertson, did you have a question in that regard? Yes, ma'am, thank you very much. Um, the $20 million that has been reassigned to complete streets and a special fund of 15, uh, what is the, is the special fund purpose of uh, the use of that 15 million and what projects are being delayed or not followed through as planned by moving this money? Is there there's, a list of something like that? Uh, there is nothing. There is nothing to my knowledge that is not going to be followed through with. This is a technical adjustment. The 15 million is a technical adjustment to show the money where the the um, the legal you're, you're legally required not to put the CBTA money in your general fund. And okay. this simply reflects that legal requirement. This money used to be appropriated as general fund money. Now it's going to, going to be appropriated as special fund money. And I, I have a slide on that. If I can go to the next one. Um, uh, this, Mr. Echelberger, before yes, you leave, Mr. Saunders, were you going to comment on that slide? Slide twenty-two. Why don't we? Uh, I'll let. I'll wait till after Bill, and if I wanted to provide any clarification, I'll, I'll do that then. But if Bill has another slide, let's let's have that first. Yes. As I said, we've got slides on all kinds of stuff, and um, the General Assembly created the Central Virginia Transportation Authority on May 1st, 2020. 50% of CVTA funds are proportionately returned to each locality within the jurisdiction of the fund. And Richmond is one of nine localities that are covered by the Central Virginia Transportation Authority. Um, the financial guidance that, that accompanied the state legislation stated that CVTA funds should be deposited to a special fund, not the general fund. So CVTA funds, mu also CVTA funds must be used for trans transportation projects. Um, the CVTA funds that are in Ordinance 2021-015 that apply to this fiscal year are $12.5 million, and the CIP has 15 being moved. Um, proposed for FY22 is 16.7, with 8.1 million coming from CIP. And again, these show up in that special fund now, and that's why I made the comment earlier about perhaps showing these in the in the budget like you do with the the public utilities non-general funds might be helpful but your total for the cvta including your cip funds for this year is 27.2 and proposed for fy22 is 24.8 um that just reiterates some something that i said that the initial transfer was 12.2 million 
So if Lincoln has more to add to that. Mr. Saunders, you were going to make a comment at this point. Was there something additional? I feel like Bill covered it, but if there's um, further questions, I think it's just that the, the move to the special fund to then distribute is just our way of demonstrating to the General Assembly uh, and others that uh, we are dedicating the uh, local share to transportation and not using it to supplant other revenues. Thank you. Mr. Eckelberger? Yeah, I, I think the word that Lincoln used there is very important. They want to make sure you're not supplanting that that this money is going for stuff you otherwise would not have been doing uh, instead of just replacing your dollars that you were going to spend anyway. Um, moving on to the next slide, um, city equipment and other investments. There's uh, 7 million proposed versus 5 million planned. There's an increase of $2 million. This is all equipment replacement money. And equipment is, is like police and fire vehicles, public works, light and heavy duty trucks and other agencies vehicles. Um, it's not like it's not like equipment in the terms of copiers and that kind of thing. It's it's vehicle replacement in the transportation budget. Um, there's no other changes other than this. This one project um, is increasing from five to seven million dollars. There any questions on that? Okay, um, I want to show you one thing real quickly. These appendices at the end, I'm just going to go over how they're structured. You can see that the they show the different projects by category. This first category is the city facility maintenance and improvements. It has the FY22 approved, uh, proposed appropriation. And then it breaks that down and tries to show you where the money is coming from. How much is general fund cash? How much is GOB? How much is coming from the federal, state, or other fund sources? And then again, it shows you the total, and we put that in just to make sure that everything is, is adding up correctly. So here's the table for city facility and maintenance. Then there's one for culture and recreation, economic and community development, uh, education, the one here is for public safety, and then this long list was transportation projects. And then finally, that one we just talked about, city equipment, uh, 7 million. And one of the things I want to draw your attention to is because many of you used this as a source of funds in your um, operating amendments, this general fund cash total, it, it totals a little over $7 million, but the bulk of that came from your fund balance policy. You'll recall that your fund balance policy um, has a requirement that 40% of the fund balance be allocated for future capital projects. And the administration has honored that fund balance policy and they have added some additional cash. But if it's council's desire to take some of this cash and move it out, these are the projects that you would have to reduce in order to get money out of the um, capital budget. City hall renovations is mostly cash. Uh, major built building maintenance is entirely cash. Um, most of the school capital maintenance is cash. And the entirety of the John Marshall Courts building renovations 
is from cash. There's no cash in transportation, and um, there's no cash in this uh, projects for equipment. That wraps up the presentation. I want to go to. Um, I want to go back if I can, if I can find it. Um, oh, there it is. To this slide and I don't know if you can see that can you see the can you see the slide on the African American Heritage Campus uh, no it is not on screen okay let me let me get back to you and do my screen share again because I that's an important project to many of you and I don't want that to uh, here it is. Now you should be able to see it. Am I right? Yes. Okay, you can see that now. This is the slide that was prepared to go in the presentation I just did. Uh, for some reason, a different version of this slide is actually in the presentation, and I will correct that and make sure that the clerk gets a corrected copy. But it's the same information, but when you get down to the remaining need, there's 8.4 million that would have to be appropriated at some point, um, either in addition to what's in the six-year plan or more than likely these are just monies that fall outside of the six-year plan. They would fall in FY27 or 28 instead of in FY22 through 26. But I wanted you to see this slide so that you would have the full information about this uh, project because I know it's important to many of you. And that's it for the capital presentation. And I managed to rush through that with three minutes to spare. Uh, Mr. Eckelberger, thank you. I do want to follow up relative to this slide number one, but I can hold the questions because I'm aware that there are state funds as well. And so I'd like to have us all have a complete understanding about the implications uh, for utilization, implications for this work that is scheduled over the next several years and uh, as well as uh, uh, what those funds will be usable for, et cetera. So it's a long, it's a, uh, you know, larger response than, um, than I think we would have time for, but I will follow up with you and that can be shared with members as well. Councilwoman Larson and then Councilwoman Robertson. Um, thank you, Dr. Nabel. Uh, question for the administration, I believe. Can we get uh, some clarification on the status of uh, CIP dollars for the ambulance authority? The council had taken action to um, put some money back from fund balance funds. I believe that was last year based on the previous year's fund balance. And... Um, it, it looks like there might be another portion of that coming forward. Um, and I just want clarity to see if that project has been finished, if the project is still outstanding, if funds are still needed. Um, so if somebody could look into that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilwoman, Councilwoman. Uh, Robertson. Thank you, Madam Chair. 
couple of questions. Um, one, I'd like to know what is the for the fund balance policy that we have as it relates to cash uh, at 40 percent. I'd like to know at what percentage are we? Uh, are we at 40, above 40, less than 40? Um, secondly, um, would also like to know um, if there is a slide in this presentation. I may have missed it. I had to step out for a moment. Um, in regards to the 13 new projects, the 10 uh, projects that funding was removed from, the nine projects that there was an increase in the two projects that were decreases. If we can, if there isn't, is there a slide that we can have that specified those specific um, projects so that we can easily find them? I I think if you go to the appendix appendices that you'll find the uh, projects planned versus the appropriation. Uh, if not, that slide is one that we, we have available and we can provide it, but I, I think it's um, in the appendices already. Um, with regard to the 40% question, the 40% is really not um, a dollar amount that you keep in reserve somewhere. Uh, the 40% is simply that at the end of the year, if you have a million dollars left over as your fund balance, 40% of that fund balance goes to um, capital. And I believe it's 40%. 10% um, goes for, uh, yeah, 50% goes for the rainy day fund until the rainy day fund reaches its statutory maximum. And then, um, which you're not at yet. And then 40% uh, is allocated for capital projects. And 10% is for, um, you know, other items that the mayor and, and city council might agree to spend the money on. The 40% when you've had fund balances, which have, has been the case since you adopted this policy back in 2017, has always been honored. There's There's been 40% allocated to capital projects. Um, so this is not anything new. Um, and... I hope that answers your question. Sorry, the reason I'm asking that there's, I, it presented some confusion for me as it relates to the total dollar amount that is in this budget that is for cash um, as a way of funding it versus bonds. Yeah. And I just wanted to make sure that that there was that I, that I don't confuse the two because I, I from what you're saying now there is no policy we don't have a policy of the amount of cash we want to put in cash payments versus uh, bonding for no, our CFP budget is that correct? You're correct. You, you okay, do not, council right. does not have a policy that that indicates how much it would like to see. Um, allocated in a budget, budget uh, for, uh, for, for cash versus geo bonds. What the administration did this year is they took the fund balance policy and then they added on top of the fund balance policy. So your cash in the capital budget is actually more than what would be reflected in the fund balance policy. And that is something that the bond rating agencies would probably probably be very happy with. They like to see localities um, spending cash on capital projects instead of relying on the credit card all the time. 
understood. The distinction that I think that is important to make is that whereas we may determine that of our total um, CIP expenditures, we purposefully look at for, trying to have 40% of that uh, as a cash versus um, bonds, that is not a policy. No, that's not a policy. It, it probably would be worthwhile to discuss with the administration in a collaborative yep. way um, whether there should be a policy goal set for how much cash. Um, right now, it's been whatever's left over. And then in 27, well, up until 2017, it was whatever's left over after you do everything else, we'll try to do something with cash. Um, there was almost never anything left over, so you relied heavily on your your bonding capacity. Um, and since 2017, you've had the fund balance policy providing some cash for capital. Um, but if if there's a desire to have an overall policy that would be um, trying to target, you know, some percent of your overall budget, which a lot of places do things like that. They'll say, I want to spend 5% of my budget, my cash budget on on capital or 10%. The, the percentage is not the important thing. The important thing is, you know, perhaps to work with the administration to come up with a, a policy that would be a guideline that when times are good, not necessarily when times are like good, but when times are good, that you're going to try to do X percentage of your, your general fund revenues as capital. Uh, that would be something for discussion. Mr. Saunders, did you have a comment relative to that uh, matter? I, I, I certainly do. Um, thank you, Madam President, and, and thank you for the question, um, Vice President Robertson. Um, we do, uh, this, the city has or the mayor has proposed uh, a, a number of budget policies that I believe were in the Finance Committee last week. Um, Dr. Brown could speak in, in more detail to each of them, but one of them is to achieve a 3% uh, annual cash investment in our, um, through 3% of revenues is used as cash funding for our capital uh, improvement program. Um, there's a couple reasons for that. One is so that we do have um, what would, is considered a financial best practice of cash funding for our capital but also specifically for funding capital maintenance, where many of our investments and improvements um, are really not, uh, probably should not be financed with debt financing. Uh, using cash for that capital maintenance is, is another best practice. So um, to that end, we probably do, we don't have a policy on the books today, but we think this is the year to start. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. With um, that, Mr. Just Mr. Just, just just by way of information, on a budget of roughly seven hundred and seventy million dollars, three three percent would be roughly twenty three, a little over twenty three million dollars in cash. Um, so there's a way to go to meet that goal, but it's probably a laudable goal. Uh, I, Thank I you. Think for better or worse, our projections are we're, we're closer around 18 million as a goal, and in the budget and the policy that was submitted to council, I believe we have a five-year plan to reach that goal as an annual appropriation goal. Um, and if I can say, it is something that is it. The reason we do it by policy, that we want to do it by um, by ordinance, is because it is something that is easy to do when it and it or 
it's easy to not do it when times are tough, but it is part of how we get where we are today with um, however hundreds, many hundreds of millions, 280, I believe, millions in deferred maintenance for city facilities. Thank you, Mrs. Saunders, and look forward to uh, more discussion relative to that item. Members, uh, Ms. Eckelberger, this are this any further comment relative to your presentation on CIP at this point? No, that concludes the CIP presentation that we prepared for you today. Okay, I want to say thank you for that. Members, just as a reminder, we have a work session on this Wednesday, the 21st. It is a budget amendment work session where we will review the amendments and uh, move, attempt to move towards consensus. Then on Friday at noon, the, our uh, proposed CIP budget amendments are due. Mr. Eckelberger, any comment relative to either of those items you'd like us to be mindful of at this point? Um, no, just that, um, as I was going to remind folks, uh, so thank you. The um, work session is on Wednesday, and we will distribute that uh, sheet again, the spreadsheet that has all of your proposed amendments. And I think the uh, Jay Brown intends to provide your impact statements. Uh, and that first meeting will be some general discussion, I hope, about the things you you want to accomplish uh, and the way you intend to go about getting the money for accomplishing those things. Um, I would remind everybody that as the dis discussion goes forward, if you feel there's a need for a text amendment that you can go ahead and ask for those to be included on the list. Um, and then for Friday, the capital amendments are due by um, noon. We will try to turn those around and get a list out to folks for them to uh, to proofread and give us corrections uh, before they they go public. Um, so probably the turnaround time for those corrections would be uh, sometime Monday. I think that's all I've got. Thank you. The um, the last item for me, um, Councilwoman Lynch, I believe, is looking to. Um, hold a uh, special meeting of Education and Human Services Committee on Thursday, the 22nd, to allow that committee to uh, review the actions uh, taken by the school board and then to uh, to review and to look at any implications in terms of uh, timeline for construction of schools such that that information could come back to council for uh, a more substantive uh, discussion. And that's on this Thursday. Uh, information will come out relative to that item. Members, are there any other questions at this time or comments? Madam Chair. Councilwoman Robertson. Um, I do not have or I can't see uh, where I have on my calendar for Wednesday a special budget session. Uh, what time is that? Wednesday at 1 p.m. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, seeing no other questions at this time, and uh, again, thank you, uh, Mr. Eckelberger, for your presentation. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. I uh, certainly uh, look forward to the follow-up uh, responses to the questions that were raised such that we can get that information to members and uh, look forward to uh, 
seeing everyone or hearing everyone on Wednesday at our uh, budget amendment work session. Thank you everyone and have a great rest of the afternoon. This meeting is now adjourned.